We are in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. This is God's Word. Beginning in verse 22. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me and carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you've gone off because you long to return to your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants. But he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you've searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. You demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. 
So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it was called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here is the heap, and here is the pillar I've set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Okay, so the last chapter ended by acknowledging the fact that what Jacob did in sneaking off, if you will, was deceitful. It's described that way in God's word. Jacob didn't handle this departure as well as it might have been handled, but he certainly had a history that made him not eager to just go and try and have a straightforward arrangement with his father-in-law, because his father-in-law was a creep who had lied to him over and over and over again. But when Jacob deceives Laban, Laban is furious. And the thing he complains about is, you deceived me. Verse 26, you've deceived me. And you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Okay, who is talking here? The guy who conned his son-in-law into marrying someone he didn't want to marry, he absolutely flat out lied, deceived Jacob. And then when they came to a business arrangement about how much Jacob was to be paid, how he was to be paid, what the arrangements were, he says, okay, we've got a deal. And then tells his son, take all the ones that I just said he could have and go three days distance. This man is a pathological liar, and he does not like to be lied to. Kind of reminds me of a lot of stuff in our society today. We have politicians in D.C., current president and a former president, both of whom point the finger at each other and say, that guy's a liar. That's the only truth that either of them is likely to speak in a 24-hour period. They're both liars. But if there's one thing that galls me, it's lying. We have a completely dishonest media 
that loves to talk about particular people's lies. And they lie all the time. What are we to do? Realize that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? God says our hearts are not just wicked, they're deceitfully wicked to the extent that we don't even recognize how bad off we are. You see, it's not just Laban, it's not just Jacob, it's the human condition, and it's not okay. If we just accept it and say, well, you know, that's the way it is, yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a family, we, we lie, you know, um, back then. You all now live in an age of cell phones where people can see who's calling and decide whether or not they want to answer. The adults in the room grew up in an age when you couldn't necessarily see who was calling and when countless parents across the country said to their children, answer the phone and if it's so-and-so, tell them I'm not here. That was just routine operating procedure in households all across America. Parents teaching their children to lie. Not that kids need a whole lot of coaching, because it's built into our DNA. So Laban finds out that Jacob has sneaked off, and he goes after him, and right before he catches up with him and confronts him, God speaks to him. And God says to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. In other words, don't mess with him. Don't mess with him. So Laban said to Jacob, as we just read, what have you done? You've deceived me and carried off my daughters like captives in war. Do you remember what the daughters said when Jacob proposed, God's telling me to go back? And he said, well, you know, that old guy has squandered our inheritance. Okay? So don't worry about it. Whatever God's told you to do, we're with you. Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. <laughs> You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. That's not the kind of thing that God was suggesting he ought to say, right? But, but he's just having a hard time holding himself back. And so he says, I have the power to harm you, but... God told me not to. He's fuming. So Jacob is about to give him an opportunity to search the tents. What is he looking for? He's looking for something he's not supposed to have. You stole my gods. Now, this is a guy who'd been confronted by God. It's not that he doesn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's that doggone it, he, he has some other gods too, and they're missing. Can you imagine the upset if your God went missing? 
He had more than one, and they're gone, and he knows it had to be Jacob or somebody in Jacob's group that stole those gods, and he wants his gods back. So Jacob says, okay, you can search all my stuff, and if you find anything that is yours, the person who took it will be punished. In fact, whoever stole your gods will pay for it with their life. He had no idea that his wife had stolen them, that his wife whom he loved had stolen them. But she had, and now she's hidden them. She's hidden them in the saddle that she uses to ride her camel, and she's sitting on the saddle. Now, this is going to be a little awkward if she has to get up, but she's got a plan. So she's sitting there, and Dad comes in. He's searched everywhere else. They can't find the gods. They search her tent, and they don't find the gods. Why? She lied. She lied. And with this particular group, it's worth mentioning the lie she told. She said, I can't get up because I'm having my period. Hope you understand. Now, why would I go back and highlight that verse? Because we live in a culture where there's a whole lot of confusion about what it's okay to say and what it's not okay to say. The Bible informs us, teaches us the fact that you can talk about anything. But how you talk about it matters. We're specifically told in the New Testament, in two different epistles, not to engage in coarse jesting or obscene speech. Okay? So dirty jokes are not okay. When I was in elementary school, I had a brother who was six year, years older than I was. He was not walking with the Lord, and he shared with me a treasury of horrible humor. I mean, one after another, and I entertained my friends with what my older brother had told me. We laughed about stuff that shouldn't have been funny, and we even laughed about stuff we didn't understand, but we knew it was supposed to be funny. Not okay. I've shared on more than one occasion about my friend Sam Thielman, who was a year younger than I was, and who confronted me about that and directed me to the scriptures. And God the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and I repented. And as a result, ever since that point, I have never made mention of any kind of bodily function that might be considered inappropriate speech in a Victorian home. No. I still talk rather frankly about various aspects of bodily functions. You know why? The Bible does. There are cultures right now in this modern age where the whole subject of women's menstruation is unmentionable. 
And girls are not able to go to school in some parts of the world because they're now having periods and that's, they can't be around other people. And they can't talk about it. And I mean, this is a, this is a significant health concern, human rights concern right now in this world. Today, modern times. That ought not to be. And Christians, as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, ought to disciple people who will understand that God's the one who made our bodies. And God gave his people instructions in the scriptures about menstruation, seminal emissions, sanitation when you're camping, okay? All kinds of things right there in the Bible. And it's not shameful, and it's not funny either. It's just life. What's twisted is when we turn it into something perverse. And sadly, a lot of parents, without meaning to, facilitate that by acting as if certain things are unmentionable. Now, there's a time and a place, and there's a manner for doing things properly. If you're ever having a meal with me, please do not describe things that have to do with gross stuff. Well, who decides what's gross? Well, I would say we don't want to talk about snot at the kitchen table. Okay? Everybody has snot. That's a slang word for mucus. Well, is it okay to talk about it at lunch if I call it mucus? No. No, it's not. Anything else? Yeah, I don't want to hear about spit. I don't want to hear about stool. I don't want to hear about things that normally are dealt with in private. Is that clear? I've been in places in the world where people went to the bathroom without going to the bathroom, if you know what I mean. They relieved themselves in public. Walking down a city street in Manila in the 1980s, and men in suits would just stop for a moment to urinate on the sidewalk, and then resume their walk to work or lunch or whatever. Um, I'm telling you that now, but I wouldn't want to tell that story at lunch or supper or breakfast. Those things just don't go together. Is it okay to wear swimsuits? Is it okay? Yes. But don't do it when you're dressing for church. You understand? Don't do it when you're dressing for meals here. When should you wear a swimsuit? When you are going swimming. Doesn't that make sense? Hence the name swimsuit. All right? It also would be inappropriate for you to wear a lovely long dress to go to the pool. Well, because you think it's, it's 
morally wrong? No, I think it's stupid. It's inappropriate. It doesn't belong at the pool. You don't wear a long dress unless you're doing a fashion shoot or something. And then people can wonder, why were they dressed that way? Now, what she did was not appropriate for two reasons, neither of which was that she mentioned periods. The reason it was wrong was, number one, it was a lie. Number two, it was to cover up the fact that she had stolen something that nobody was supposed to even have. She had stolen her father's gods. He shouldn't have had those things. She shouldn't either. But obviously, she thought they were valuable. She didn't do this because she was really concerned about her father's idolatry and thought, you know, we're leaving the area. Maybe now I can break him of his addiction to these terrible little things. That was not what was going on. She was buying into the same satanic lie that her daddy had bought into, and it would be like stealing your addicted parents' drugs because you want some. You understand? So she did wrong. She did wrong in stealing them. She did wrong in lying about it. She's not supposed to have them to begin with. This is going to be a problem all through the Old Testament. Fortunately, in the New Testament, idolatry is no more. No. In the New Testament, Christians are told, don't give in to idolatry. I, Pastor Wood, I, you know, I don't think any of us are inclined to worship little blocks of wood or stone or whatever. Really? It's not just blocks of wood and stone. It can be things like this. What is this? It's money. What did Jesus say? You cannot serve God and mammon. What does Paul say? Greed is idolatry. So there are a whole lot of people who are still struggling with idolatry, aren't there? We have a cure for that in America. Well, we have a couple of cures for it. One is, I'm looking for it, Right there. In God we trust. So that makes this okay. Uh, money's not bad. But if you trust in the money instead of in God, that's idolatry. If you're greedy for money, that's idolatry. If you think money can provide security, you're wrong. It can't. Only God can. But when we read about these folks, we find that despite their sin, God was still at work. I love looking at the description of the two perspectives. Jacob says, if I have anything of yours, bring it out here and we'll deal with it. And when they can't find the idols, 
What does Laban say? The girls are mine, and the grandchildren are mine, and all the flocks are mine. From Laban's perspective, even though Jacob had earned the marriages and the flocks, it was still his. Years ago, I sold a car. It was a nice Peugeot that I enjoyed. And within the hour, a friend of mine came breathlessly knocking on my door to tell me that the guy who'd bought the car was driving it recklessly downtown in Chatham, Massachusetts, and felt that we needed to go do something about it. Well, he was so urgent that my momentary thought was, okay, let's go. And then I thought, wait, that's not my car. It was my car, but he bought it. He's not test driving it recklessly. That's his now. If he wants to ruin the thing, that's on him. I'm not going to deal with it. I don't own that car anymore. Let me tell you, sometimes we forget when we make a transaction with someone that we have to honor our end too, even if we don't like what they're doing with their end. Laban felt like everything Jacob had still belonged to him, which was why Jacob had to leave. You understand? But Jacob's perspective was not entirely balanced either. Jacob describes it this way. I've been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or by night. I find all of that believable. The next part, I think, is a little melodramatic. Listen. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. When I was growing up, I had to walk to school for miles, and it was uphill both ways. That's what he's doing, right? He's remembering all the negatives. He sees what has happened. He doesn't remember all the good stuff. Obviously, the man has 12 kids. He must have had a few moments of downtime. You understand? There must have been a few opportunities to spend time alone with his wives. But that's not what he remembers. He remembers that for all these years, he was either burning up or freezing. Constantly was one or the other. And I never got any sleep. Be careful that you don't embrace a distorted view of your situation. Yes, acknowledge the difficulties, but don't blow it out of proportion. So both of these guys had an unrealistic view. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Totally false, but Laban believed it. One of the terrible things about being a, a liar is that it makes you crazy because you start to believe your own stuff. Bill Clinton used to get teary 
telling about things that never happened. He felt our pain. Just another pathological liar in the presidency. One after another, after another, after another. Well, so they came to an agreement, and the agreement was this. We're going to have a monument that marks the fact that we're not going to mess with each other. I won't go on the other side of that monument. That's you. You don't come any further this way. This is me. We're going to leave each other alone. Agreed? Agreed. They have a meal. They spend the night. And late, early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then he left and returned home. It wasn't the best of partings, but they made the best of it that they could. And now they're both going to move on. And the very next thing that's going to happen is Jacob's going to have to deal with another broken family relationship where he had not parted on good terms with his brother Esau. Folks, every family has problems because every person has problems. All of us have faults, and when people with faults are involved in a relationship, the relationship is going to be imperfect. But God is able to take dysfunctional people from dysfunctional families and make something beautiful of their lives. Thanks be to God, because otherwise all of us would be sunk. God in his mercy chose to save sinners, and that's why we can be saved. But don't think that the fact that God has saved you means you're now without fault. You have no flaws. Everything about me is just shining. Aren't I, aren't I wonderful? We've got a whole host of songs on Christian radio telling us all how beautiful we are because we all want to feel better about ourselves. I would rather sing about what a beautiful Savior we have. One who saves sinners. I don't have to pretend I'm beautiful. I'm not. I'm not even as good looking as I used to be. But I'll tell you this. I've got a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And he is perfect. He never lies. He always loves. And he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, by his grace, I'm going to be like him. I want to see you there, looking like Jesus too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us. Help us to rest in your grace to find our confidence and our identity and our security in you.
Thank you that your word is true and unchanging and that you teach us in your word how to deal matter-of-factly with the facts, how to be honest with ourselves and others. Help us, Lord God. Renew our minds, transform our lives, and we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.